Hello everyone. This week I thought I would take a look at the education news that's making the rounds. There's a mixed bag, I've got some bits about learning gaps due to COVID, some information about how England has a problem with experienced teachers, and, because it's me, something about the SATs. And don't forget, my latest blog post gets published today. That takes a long, hard look at SATs booster classes and whether or not they're a good thing. I uh, think you've already made your mind up on that issue. Well, the research might just surprise you. At the very least, it's worth a read just to find out if napping really does help you learn. That's MrMsMusings.com for the blog. Okay, let's get going. With information into the world of education and tips on how to survive teaching, I'm Mr M. These are my musings. A report published by Jupiter Education Solutions has suggested that year three children in England, that's seven, seven-year-olds, uh, will be the hardest hit by the school closures over the pandemic. Analyzing data from over 6,000 schools, that's roughly half a million primary children, they found that attainment dropped on average 9% for English and maths across all year groups. Now, 9% might not sound like much, but 9% of half a million is 45,000 children. Most of this fall was during the first year of the pandemic, and worryingly but understandably, there hasn't been any significant recovery of this. With the notable exception of children in year 6, hinting that much of the curriculum has been sacrificed to catch up on English and maths. Now, why might schools want to ensure that their year 6 children catch up on those subjects in particular? Especially this year. Hmm... Just a reminder, the blog post this week looks at SATS booster classes and explores the pros, and there are some, and cons. Really, check it out. It's worth a read. I enjoyed writing it. Anyway, it's year three children that are suffering the most. The average drop there is a whopping 16.5%, and in a class of 30, that's nearly five children. This shouldn't be a shock, considering their last full year of uninterrupted education was reception when they were five. They've essentially missed Key Stage 1 entirely, and this is not school bashing, nor am I suggesting that parents didn't try their best through the homeschooling period. I know several families who really tried hard, but parents aren't teachers, and parents who are teachers had a lot on their plates. I know people who genuinely attempted to teach phonics sessions to their five-year-olds, but were so completely out of their depth. They didn't know what to check for, they didn't know which misconceptions to address, how to spot procrastination over genuine struggling. It's nobody's fault but that doesn't mean it isn't a thing. Perhaps the biggest tragedy of all of this is that disadvantaged children, as well as SEND children, that's uh, special needs children, have, have been the most hardest hit. Those gaps that were there even before the world had heard of COVID-19 have only gotten bigger. And that was it. That's, that's where the article finished. Just year three children have been the hardest hit and the most disadvantaged children have been hit hardest of all. There you go. Take that and deal with it. There's there's no there's no possible solutions offered. There's no message of hope. I it it was I I felt sad having read it. I hope you don't feel bad having listened to it. I think what we need to do there, you take the information and you do something with it. So if we know that the current year threes have been the hardest hit, that means we need to put measures in place for next year, the year four children. So we look back at the gaps, and this is why assessment is so key. Formative, and then summative assessment, but used formatively. We need to see where those gaps are, and they're not just in English and maths. We need to stop narrowing the curriculum. You can teach English through art, and history, and geography, and drama. You can teach maths through science, and cooking, and playing games. 
we need to make broaden the curriculum maybe narrow the scope of what we're looking for but that's our job as educators we have to look for the gaps we have to fill them the children should just get on with the business of learning and we should make that learning relevant for them but if we know where the gaps are we should preemptively do something about it stop worrying about this year's year six they're fine they will be absolutely fine they've had all of the attention shoved into them yes their curriculum has been narrowed and that's horrible but you know they're going to be okay the year fives by the time they get to year six, they will, they'll be okay as well. It's, it's these year three children we need to worry about, and especially those disadvantaged and SEND children. We need to look out for them. So if you have any suggestions, if you are a year three teacher and you have been doing something particularly effective, please let me know so I can share it with everybody else or, or just tweet about it yourself and, and get those likes and follows. But we know where the problem is. Let's do something about it. So there we have it. The next article I read was a very cheerful one from the Times Education Supplement, uh, which is no longer physical, I didn't realise until just now. It's not been physical since Christmas time. They've spent over a hundred years with a physical magazine, and now it's purely online, uh, often stuck behind a paywall, which is a shame. Anyway, there was this article uh, that claimed that teachers in England are the least experienced, with just over half of them having more than 10 years' experience. They're also less likely to work in disadvantaged schools. Some very awkward sentences going on here. So just over half of teachers in England have more than 10 years experience. So what they're saying is just under half have less than 10 years experience. Okay, now reading this report, there does seem to be a bit of selective maths happening. We're told that more than half of the teachers are inexperienced, but they're talking about 55% having less than a decade of experience. Well, less by what? By a single year? By a term? By a day? And is this experience strictly professionally qualified experience? I, before I was a teacher, I'd volunteered in classes since the age of 16. That's experience. It's not professional experience, but it is experience. Many teachers uh, start out their career as teaching assistants. Well, does that count? That's experience in a classroom and it's professional, but it's not professionally qualified teaching experience. If I made a move to a secondary school, despite my 12 years experience in primary education, I would be considered an unqualified teacher because my PGCE, my teacher training degree, only covers five to 11 year olds. So would I be accused of having less than 10 years experience? It's all very vague. Um, I should point out this is strictly teachers in secondary school. So primary colleagues, we're good, we're fine. Um, but let's address that less likely to work in disadvantaged schools comment. The article goes on to mention that experienced teachers account for 50% of the workforce. Well, that's exactly half. Now, in what way does that make it less likely to be taught by an inexperienced teacher? I know probability was removed from the primary curriculum in 2014, but I recall 50% being even chances. And anyway, don't we want more experienced teachers in deprived areas? Isn't that what equity is? The best going to the most in need. This article seemed to be all over the place. And then, then I checked where all the information for the article was coming from. It's an article about the latest PISA report. Now, PISA is the Programme for International Student Assessment. And my personal opinion is that it's merely a global we're doing better than you competition in which 15-year-olds are pitted against each other, unwittingly, in a bid to help their country attempt to beat Singapore in maths. It's supposed to be, you know, brilliantly worldwide and 
uniting and oh, let's all compare and see who's doing well and who's not doing well. But see, education isn't like that. I remember when the education minister in England went over to one of the Scandinavian, I think it was Finland, but one of the Scandinavian countries uh, in an attempt to borrow their their spelling scheme of work because Finnish children could spell all words perfectly. I think it was Finland. I'm, I'm going to be embarrassed now and it won't be, but it was, it was one of those countries. And the response was, you, you can't use the, the Finnish scheme of work for spelling because Finnish words are very, very, um, what's the word? Phonetic. They're very phonetic. And English spelling is not. What with it being a mishmash of romantic, Germanic, Viking, you know, our language has been influenced by so many different cultures and other languages that it's difficult to spell. It's historically and famously difficult to spell. And you can't take somebody else's. So I have this problem with direct comparisons of other countries, especially when it's used politically. I, I think politics should be kept out of the classroom. So yeah, I'm being flippant, but honestly, we've just come out of a pandemic. There's a genuine concern over both teacher recruitment and retention. I think there are better things to worry about. But I know someone who analyzes pizza results, not pizza results, pizza. I analyze pizza results and the results are always favorable. No, she analyzes pizza results. So I'll give her a call and see what she thinks. Um, but yeah, I, they've had to increase the, the starting salary for brand new teachers just to entice them into the profession, but at the cost of kind of, um, it's kind of a uh, sticking your fingers up to experienced teachers who are getting a a pay rise of like 5% less. So it, there's bigger problems than our more experienced teachers in more deprived areas, which I still, I this whole article seems, it's on the TES, read it for yourself and, and let me know if you think I've got the wrong end of the stick. I'm happy to be, to be schooled on this issue, but I think, I think it was a pointless article. Oh, PISA 2022 has just happened as well. Um, I mean, actually, the, the the exams happened in 2021, so they're, all the results are coming in now. So I suspect this is what's happened. The PISA countries have just decided to, to say things. The best thing that ever came out of a PISA study was a fantastic, I forget his name, but a fantastic Canadian educator analysed the results and um and said that canadian men are the most likely to tell lies and that that, that was a joke but he he did it to show how statistics can be used to prove absolutely anything i don't think he was canadian I mean, he was english but yeah that's what he did he analyzed all the results and that's what he came up with based on purely analytical statistical study um but without double checking logic so there you go. Um, we have inexperienced teachers and experienced teachers pretty much in even numbers, but we don't know what inexperienced means. See, aren't you glad I read these articles so you don't have to? Okay. Final one. Last one. Schools Minister Robin Walker has come under fire from head teachers for defending some of the DfE's decisions, uh, mainly centred around hosting SATs this year. So the, the SATs, the standardised assessment tests uh, in England, only in England, not Wales, not Scotland. People who listen abroad, it's only England that has these tests. They're not SATs like America has. They're not multiple choice. 
The children sit them in their final year of primary school and they assess maths and English and in some schools, science, but not all schools. Um, so yes, so they're going ahead this year. They were cancelled last year because of the pandemic. They were cancelled the year before. I don't know, so much has happened, but definitely not last year. Anyway, this year, they're back on. And uh, here's a controversial hot take. I think he's right to do it. So all those angry head teachers that had a go at him can also have a go at me. The problem that schools have is that there hasn't been enough time for children to have covered the entire curriculum. So testing them on the whole curriculum is unfair. And that's true. Remember, especially earlier on when I said that year three children hadn't had an uninterrupted academic year since they began primary school. Well, the same can be said for all primary school children. So year six have missed a year and a half of education. Despite the gaps being smaller, and despite schools narrowing curriculums to ensure that at least maths and English are covered, which is probably the government's fault as well, nothing to do with school-level decision-making. Again, read the blog post about this. Um, but the current year six children have had about a year and a half of pretty patchy education. But guess what? That's okay. Because the SATs don't measure performance in that way. In fact, the DfE's own literature states outright that the SATs cannot possibly measure the entire curriculum. And trust me, I wrote my master's dissertation on it. I have spent way too long digging into the machinations of the end of Key Stage 2 tests. Well, this year, there's... There is a, a, a little bit more that they can't measure, but that doesn't make them pointless. As an institution, education needs to know the state of play. Exactly how behind are the children? Not according to PISA results, or even the current Year 7 children, who didn't do their stats last year, remember, but according to themselves as a cohort. We need a national baseline, if only to ensure that next year's Year 6 children don't face the same amount of curriculum narrowing as this year's. And Robin Walker went on to say that the results weren't even going to be published. The schools would know the results, and they would know where they fit on a national scale, and that's it. Perfect. I mean, the government doesn't publish competitive league tables anyway. They publish each school's results for comparison because part of the reason that exams take place in the first place is to provide accountability information for parents. There are three reasons primary schools conduct end-of-key-stage tests. And they're all accountability. But to inform parents in secondary schools is the second reason. So that's, that's, they need that anyway. And the tables aren't competitive. They're alphabetical and they're sorted by region. And they have been ever since their inception. It's the press who turned them into the Hunger Games. So it's a good thing that the children are going to have the opportunity to prove to themselves that they've achieved great things despite the extreme circumstances they've been faced with. Ordinarily, results are normalised and floor targets are drawn up based on a bell curve. If the exact same thing happens this year, it'll be fine. I know the bell curve model has its detractors because it means there will always be higher and lower achievers, but that's the nature of the beast. You can't have everybody be above average. And don't get me wrong, there are problems with the SATs and with standardised testing as a concept, but avoiding them this year is not the answer. Anyway, that, that's my hot take. A bit long for a hot take. Um, and that's it. That's the, uh, the three news articles I looked at this week. It's another fairly short one this week but again that's okay i think around about 20 minutes is is a good time you you're all busy was there anything else oh yes yes um the second of the three dfe webinars on uh sexual harassment and exploitation um 
I have listened to it. I've made notes. I'm doing the third one this within the next seven days. Uh, so that digest of it will be available soon. I'm also working on a brand new website to bring together the blog posts and the podcasts and the show notes, which will be available. Uh, so there's, there's just a one-stop shop for all of that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's it. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. It's the end of the week. You're only two weeks away from the Easter break, so keep going. You can do it. And uh, I will catch you next week. Mr. M's Musings, the podcast, was written and edited by Carl Hadley Morris. The music is Busy City by Track Tribe. If you like what you've heard, please let me know by leaving a rating or dropping me a comment in Twitter. Similar content can be found at www.mrmsmusings.com and you can hire Mr. M to tutor your child or speak at your school. Head over to www.igniteeducation.co.uk or email info at igniteeducation.co.uk for more information. Thanks for listening and I will catch you next time.